Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Any mention of the word popular, and many of us are transported to a time when popularity really seemed to matter. Who was on top? Who was on bottom? Who floated somewhere in the middle of the social hierarchy at school or among peer groups? Who was well-liked by many? Who was revered by the masses? And who was feared by most? You know, those kids who were popular by default because nobody really wanted to attempt to take on their views and their power. Interestingly, popularity in our younger years, according to research, can predict how successful we are in our adulthood. But are we, as parents and educators, supposed to help our kids to become more popular then? Actually, the definition of popularity needs to be fully understood to learn the answer to that very question. And the strategies and the key conversations to help our children will follow. For that, we turn to our guest, Dr. Mitch Princeton. Mitch Princeton, PhD, is a husband, a father, board certified in clinical child adolescent psychology and serves as the John Van Cedars Distinguished Professor of Psychology and Neuroscience and the Director of Clinical Psychology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Mitch's peer relations lab has been conducting research on popularity and peer relations for almost 20 years and has produced over 100 scientific works, including a slew of scientific journals, journal articles, book chapters, a set of encyclopedias on adolescent development, and even a textbook on the field of clinical psychology. Mitch is deeply committed to science and training in clinical psychology, and his research has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, National Public Radio, the Los Angeles Times, CNN, U.S. News and World Report, Time Magazine, New York Magazine, Newsweek, and so many more. He is also the author of the book Popular, The Power of Likeability in a Status-Obsessed World. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show, so welcome, Mitch, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Well, I'm thrilled you're here. This is such an important topic, and right at the top of the school year, it's really important. But before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't seen your book yet or read about all of the great things that you're doing, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in the concept of popularity? I have been interested in popularity since I was a little kid, and um, now as a parent, I am just amazed at how predictably kids start to worry about how well they get along with peers and they form their hierarchies and they immediately start talking in the language that all of us tried so hard to forget once we left high school. Mm -hmm. Um, It's such an important uh, topic, I think, that turns out to relate to so much in the long term, but we don't talk about it and we should. 
Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. You know, your work takes a deep dive into popularity. So let's go into the concept of popularity because we do need to tease it out a bit first so that we can get on the same page. When we're talking about popularity and the nuances of popularity, what are we really talking about? As I, I know there are different kinds of popularity and, and for each kind of popularity, a different outcome. Yeah, so there's two different kinds of popularity, and it's a funny issue semantically because most of us have such a strong emotional reaction Mm -hmm. to the word popular. You know, it it takes us back, as you said, to high school. It makes us really think about the kids who were the most high in status. Mm -hmm. They were dominant. They were maybe a little aggressive. They were really visible. Everyone knew who they were, right? And they were kind of influential. They set the trends That is one kind of popularity, but it's only the second kind we experience. It's the kind that comes up around adolescence. If we look back, all the way back to kind of kindergarten, in fact, even three-year-olds, you can find a different form of popularity that we refer to as likability. It's the extent to which kids make others feel happy, valued, included, and people just want to spend time with them. They want to trust them. They want to be led by them, they want to play with them. And that concept of likability versus status, those two forms of popularity, you can see how those play out in very different ways decades, decades after we grow up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there were some types of semantics that you used in the book, and I just want to go a little bit into them so that we understand what's going on here. You talk about the different types of people who make up the social scene in school. Uh, you talk about rejected, neglected, accepted, um, controversial, average. So can you tell us a little bit about those categories and what kinds of outcomes in terms of popularity um, and those in those categories are associated with children. Sure. So, you know, about a few decades ago, researchers discovered that if you sit down with kids in a classroom or in a neighborhood or even with adults and ask them who are the kids they like the most and who are the kids that they like the least, you'll get some pretty reliable responses. Mm-hmm. Kids all t- tend to tell you some very similar things. And you find some kids who are really well-liked and very infrequently picked as disliked and they're accepted. The kids who are the opposite, disliked a lot, not very well-liked or rejected. But you also get these kids that kind of disappear. They're not picked for anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're more neglected. And then their opposites are the people that we all have a love-hate relationship with and they're the controversials. Mm -hmm. And all about hundreds of studies now have identified the accepteds, rejecteds, neglecteds, and controversials as well as average, which is what most of us were, that's about 50, 60% of us, and followed them up years and years later to see if this is related to anything in the future. And it is. In fact, it's one of the stronger predictors of so many outcomes, our physical health, our mental health, our occupational um, uh, success, um, our salaries, even the health and well-being of our children is all traced back to what it was like for us when we were growing up if we don't talk about it and address who we were. Um, Of course, my hope is that by talking about it and helping people to recognize the differences and the issues going on, we might be able to stop kind of the cycle that could occur generation after generation. Okay, so that's where I want to really dig in a little bit there. So when you have a child who might be categorized in one of the rejected or neglected 
spaces. When you know this, what is a parent or an educator to do if they've maybe gleaned it on their own, they've maybe asked other children, or they just know it from, you know, really looking at the way that they interact. Maybe they blend into the background and they're fairly unseen, or maybe they do make overtures to try to get to know other people, but are pushed aside or made to feel like they're not welcome. So what are we to do in that circumstance since we know that popularity with in terms of likability and being embraced as somebody you want to be around is so important for later outcomes? Well, the answer is very different based on whether you're neglected or you're rejected. So let me start with neglected Great. and um, just talk about that first. So some neglected kids actually do really, really well. And the reason why they do so well is neglected kids can be very skilled at being quiet, mm -hmm. at um, listening before they speak, and about figuring out how to enter a group in a way that kind of respects and appreciates other people in the group. It respects the group norms. So if everyone's playing with trucks, you don't tell everyone that that's a bad idea and then suggest another game you somehow help that group evolve to what you want to play, you know, the way that anyone would kind of guide a conversation. So neglected kids actually can do quite well. Um, when they grow up, many of them are very, very adaptable. And in the workplace, they're really able to do well working on a variety of teams because they are so good at that. But there is a subset of the neglected kids who are not neglected by choice. They're actually neglected because they're experiencing a decent amount of anxiety. They desperately want to have more peer interactions, but they just feel too concerned about potentially being teased or excluded, and they experience distress. Uh, young kids might experience that as physical symptoms, stomach aches, um, headaches, a feeling like they don't want to go to school. But older kids might kind of more play it off like, well, I don't care what anyone else says anyway. Um, but really what's happening is that they are feeling lonely. And that's where there is a concern. So for the neglected kids, I would want to really figure out which version of neglected these kids are. Kids that just don't have high needs for interactions with others. Maybe they prefer reading or drawing by themselves instead, which is fine. Or kids who might want to interact with others but actually feel quite nervous about it. And at some levels, that might require getting the help of a trained professional for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So that's the that's the neglected group that it's really, are we neglected by choice or are we neglected because we're doing something, we're, we're doing something, we're not doing something to help integrate us into a group. So what about those rejected kids who are either making overtures and being pushed aside or they're maybe ex very eccentric and made to feel like they're so different that they are, are pushed aside. Yeah, so the rejected kids are the ones that I would worry about. I usually don't worry about someone who's neglected, but if you are getting rejected, then there are probably a number of reasons why that might be occurring. The number one reason, which characterizes about 50% of rejected kids, is that these are kids who are acting aggressively. Um, sometimes they might even see a pretty innocuous interactions. Someone maybe accidentally bumps into them or knocks something over that they didn't mean to. And they might interpret that as something that was done on purpose mm. just to hurt them, which might sadly be something that they did learn might sometimes happen to them in other contexts. 
So these are kids who might have kind of a hair trigger, you know, they're very reactive and aggressive in response to something not going their way. And that, again, I think is where the work needs to start, is to try and help those kids understand um, how sometimes they might be seeing the world through aggression-colored glasses when they don't need to. And there might be other ways to respond even when they do feel angry and really helping kids develop non-aggressive strategies. But that only takes care of about half of those rejected kids. The other half, they might be engaging in perfectly okay behaviors with just one or two small things that alienate them, sometimes totally out of their fault um, and sometimes something that might uh, be uh, a, a behavior they can address. Most commonly, it's kids who don't really know how to read the group. And what I mean by that is not that kids have to become a sheep and you know conform to everything that their peers are doing, but to realize that sometimes we have group norms, how loud we talk, how long we talk, how close we are to others when we stand, what it is that other kids prefer and want to do, and, and again, how to kind of join the group and move the group from within rather than trying to stand out and become a little bit um, disruptive to the norms in a particular social group. That, that tends to be something a little bit harder to teach, but all of us can remember in our childhoods or now we might know adults who just kind of don't get how the rest of us prefer to interact. Mm, okay, so you had you had actually mentioned a longitudinal study of 10,000 Swedish children that demonstrated that likable children go up to be better adjusted, healthier, more successful, as you mentioned. And you say, while likable people live in a world in which they are treated well, unlikable people are avoided, ridiculed, or victimized. And so based on what you were just telling me, would you say that there are some key conversations that we need to have with our kids if they are being rejected or they're being neglected for reasons that they're not going to turn out as great based on what you were saying? You know, are there sort of do's and don'ts that we should be peeling apart? What what should what's our action step to help our kids when we identify this? Well, yes, I do think that it's really important to talk with folks and help kids who are experiencing rejection, because, as you say, it is something that is remarkably predictive of difficulties in the future, mostly because it seems to mean that kids are getting denied opportunities to learn things with peers that everyone else is learning um, as a normal course of their daily routine. I would talk to teachers first. It's so, so hard for parents, understandably, to think of their child as somehow being mistreated or um, ostracized or teased by someone else. But And we, we all see the best in our children, of course. But teachers have a great lens on understanding how it is that other kids are interacting with that potentially rejected child, how others are responding to them, and often will have really good clues as to what um, that child might be doing that might be alienating others. So I think it's really important to do that. If there are ways to observe your child interacting with others without your child realizing that you're right there in the room, that also can be really helpful. But it's important for parents to realize that sometimes they might have a totally understandable blind spot in seeing what might be aversive to other kids they might find adorable or hmm. reminiscent of someone that you know they once knew or their own sibling or themselves. Um, so it is really helpful to try and get that objective feedback to see what it is. And then 
What can really be effective is to try and establish close, supportive friendships, even with just one friend in the school, to help socialize that child back into the group in a way that will be surrounded by more positivity and and less the expectation that that child is going to do something to alienate him or herself again. So forming those close relationships is key. Okay, I really I think that's an important idea because the research does back up the idea that kids who have at least one good friend are going to fare much better than those kids who are cast out by everyone. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that we often see in children who are rejected are those kids who are doing behaviors over and over again, sort of thinking that they're funny, but they are actually, they're being annoying at that point. And so they, but they keep doing that, hoping that maybe it'll get a laugh or uh, a reaction. And some people will say something like, well, they do want some kind of attention and that's just one way that they get it. So for, let's say a specific reason like that, where you know that there's a a skill that they're missing, a nuance, an empathy, perhaps, that they're missing. What do you typically suggest for that type of a child? I think a lot of positive reinforcement and practice. Mm -hmm. So that particular child that you're describing um, would be a great example of what we often see with kids, which is a desire to get the positive reinforcement that comes with emotional attention. It doesn't matter if it's positive or negative, but kids will respond to getting attention from peers, from teachers, from parents, even if it seems to all of us that it would be negative attention and it would somehow be a turn off. Kids love that. And if they're able to get that attention by engaging in behaviors that everyone finds annoying, they might have a hard time recognizing the difference between attention, which feels really good, and the resulting kind of ostracism, which obviously feels bad. So what we want parents to do in that case is to shape their kids' behavior by overboarding them with positive attention whenever they do something that is going to help them in a group. Whenever they make a comment that seems to be recognizing what other people want or need or helps other people feel valued around them, really praising that and drawing that out of them and giving them examples of you're going to get much more emotional attention and a positive valence when you engage in those behaviors. And we're going to start to kind of ignore or walk away when you engage in more annoying behaviors because we want to extinguish that and teach you that that's not the behavior that's that you should be relying on more often. Okay, that's really, really sound advice. Now, I know in your in your book, you talk about values. And I I write a character education curriculum for schools and after school programs called Powerful Words, where we take deep dives into different values like open mindedness, respect, courage, responsibility, loyalty, leadership, and those kinds of things. So I'd love to understand how popularity can shape values and how we can fight against or provide an alternative view of what really seems to be important for kids when they're getting that sort of steady diet of being popular is about status. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about the experience of kids kind of before puberty, so up to like 11 or 12 years old. But I think what's so important that it's helpful for parents to often hear and teachers is that 
there is something that biologically happens at the very start of puberty, about a year or two before you start seeing any physical signs of growing up. The brain has changed in a way that makes kids suddenly crave this status, this attention for being dominant, visible, powerful, and influential. And sometimes, often, in fact, that leads kids to want to be aggressive because the more they put others down, the more it makes them feel they've gone up on the hierarchy. This is where the values piece, I think, is super important because kids are going to be biologically reinforced with dopamine, oxytocin. You know, it's going to feel really, really good when everyone's paying attention to them and they feel really popular. And that's where parents have to swoop in, teachers as well, and teach kids that while that might feel okay right now, how is that antithetical to the way that we've learned to treat other people, the things that we think are going to help us 30 years down the road, the things that are going to allow us to make other people feel good about themselves rather than giving ourselves a momentary high because we suddenly felt popular or dominant in that moment. So this, to me, is a huge part of what needs to be discussed in every middle school and by every middle school parent um, to make sure that kids realize that although their bodies are making them crave this form of attention, that's not necessarily the kind of attention you want to grow up learning how to solicit. Mm, it's really about flipping the lens. I had I had interviewed Michelle Borba, who talks so much about empathy and wanting to flip the mm. lens from looking just at yourself and what are you doing and what's being celebrated by others to looking at others and, and saying, how can I be helpful? How can I, how can I read other people's emotions and, and really, you know, help to feed them, help them like them, sh show them that I like them. It, it can be so much more productive. I think so. I mean, my wife and I are trying so hard to ask our kids who are still young, but ask them and get them in the habit Every day when they come home from school, did you do anything today that made someone feel welcome? Mm. Did you do anything today that made someone feel valued? Yes. Um, just really helping kids recognize that we as parents value that. We are going to reward them for that. We are excited when they tell us that. So they understand that this is the kind of thing that we think, and as a researcher I know, is going to lead to lifelong benefits and really not give any attention or focus or not play out our own high school insecurities by asking kids, you know, did you get the most invitations? Are you the one that everyone wants to be with? You know, were you the one in charge? And there are some communities right here in our country who unfortunately, um, you know, might accidentally reinforce kids more towards status without realizing it. Um, even as we as adults pick up our own phones and get excited about, you know, what texts or tweets or whatever we're getting, you know, it, it does accidentally kind of communicate values to our kids about what we think is important. And we have to remember that kids are watching and listening. So we have the opportunity to really help them develop the kind of popularity that will help them in the long run, not the kind that we know is bad for you 20 years later. So interesting. My daughter, who's 10 years old, um, was brushing her teeth with me this morning and said something about uh, a video that she saw where a girl said, if I am able to get 10,000 likes, my mom said I can have a nose ring, which I thought was very interesting. And I oh, it, it, yeah, it just began a conversation about likes and and how... <laughs> 
I, I kept saying, you know, really what I want you to, to, to know about life and likes is that I want you to, to like who you are and that we're not, not be so worried about what everybody else is thinking and how many likes people are obsessed with it. And I know you talk about that in your book about what social media is, is teaching our kids. So before we wrap up, can you tell us about likes and popularity? Like what about the social media that is constantly telling our kids that it's really about the likes that say you're valuable? Yeah, actually, in the softcover edition of the book, um, I ended up adding a whole section of guidance to parents on how to walk their kids through social media because it has become such a huge issue. Social media might not be the problem. It might reflect a broader problem of our concern with status these days, but it is, in fact, a really, really addictive, genuinely biologically addictive um, kind of mechanism that allows us to kind of mouse click for likes 24 seven and kids are staying up late just for that purpose. In fact, you know, I think it's important to let kids know this might be okay, but in moderation, Mm -hmm. you know, sure. It's fun. We all enjoy logging in and seeing that we have so many likes or followers or whatever we are again, biologically, that is a certainty that we're going to feel that way. You can't talk your way out of that. But just like anything else that might be addictive or might temporarily feel okay, and we might have a really hard time avoiding uh, getting kids to avoid it completely, we can teach safe ways of engaging in that behavior and moderation. It's okay to limit screen time. It's a great idea. It's critical to help kids remember that what they see online is often fake or contrived and really to understand how to digest that information. Even though we as adults are playing catch up on social media, we can still ask kids to tell us what they're seeing and how they would respond to hypothetical things we might raise with them and teach them how to digest what they're exposed to on social media. But mostly is to give kids opportunities to practice those uh, social experiences that occur offline. Too often kids use their offline experiences just as fodder to get more likes, to Mm. take pictures of it and get more likes. And to teach kids there is a time and a place to sometimes have a real genuine non-impression management um, type of interaction where you can reach, you can, you know, gain some emotional intimacy and actual companionship with a person. Because the truth is, kids are clicking and getting likes more than ever before. They're also more lonely than ever before. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that we as parents and as educators kind of remind kids and, and teach them, you know, there used to be a world where we didn't have any of these, and it might be worthwhile for them to visit it every once in a while and um, engage in just real old-fashioned interactions. Mm-hmm. Really being present in the, in the present moment instead of yes. worrying about what am I posting online. Okay, so... Exactly, exactly. Yes, exactly. So fill in the blank. Uh, what we really need to know about popularity is... There are two different kinds. One's good for you, one's bad for you. Make sure you're going for the right one. Ah, good. Top tip. So what are what would you really want us to do or say to our children tonight about popularity? Talk directly with your kids about popularity and make sure they know that you know it's not just an adolescent fad. It's actually a really important topic to your kids. And research says for all of our lives. So let's talk about it seriously. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and all the great work you're doing? 
You can go to MitchPrinstein.com. There's information about me and about the book up there. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Mitch, for your insight and your strategies. I think it's really important work how you're partialing out what's really good for you about popularity and what's not so, and that we can help our kids uh, really hone in on, on being good people, likable people, without worrying so much about status and what everybody else thinks. So thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much. So I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours, so let's just discuss them. Come up on Facebook, we can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram, and I will be creating memes based on what Mitch Princeton has said today so that you can share them. I know how much you love those memes with all the great quotes that you heard today so that you can share them with your friends. And I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review this podcast so other people can hear about the outstanding solutions and conversations and use them in their own homes and schools. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. For my fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short. You've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information,